you bow with me? Most righteous Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this beautiful day you bless us with. Thankful we're able to join here as a Christian family, Lord, that we are sons of yours by the blood of Christ, that we're standing on that cross for our sins, Lord. We're so thankful for that. We pray that you would be with us as we continue out this weekend. We're thankful for the speakers and their preparation that they have put in, that they may be able to present uh, lessons to us that we may uh, understand better and look deeper into your word. We're thankful for all those who have had safe travels, Lord. We pray that you continue to be with those who may still be on the road. Thankful to be, again, children of yours, Lord, that through your Son we have the hope of eternal life one day when we are faithful to you, Lord, that we can have that victory of overcoming. We are so thankful that you have set that into motion, that that plan is in place for us to follow. We are mindful of the singing that's taking place this morning in the chapel that has just uh, concluded. Thankful for the students here and the school. We pray that they may continue to be strong and, and faithful, Lord. We're thankful for each and every one who's in attendance this morning. Pray that we may each be attentive and listen to what Brother Ross has to say. Lord, we know that it's from, from your word. Pray that we may look into it and understand that it is truth. Thank you so much for all that you've given us. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thankful for the opportunity to be here today, the invitation. I want to tell you that this is supposed to be a class, and so I'm going to teach it like I do one of my regular classes. Feel free to get my attention, offer your comments and questions as time allows. I'm going to be asking you questions and expecting you to answer them. If the students don't answer the questions and get them right, it affects their grade, I'm, I'm told. So uh, they need to know that as well. When Goliath taunted the Israelite army in the Valley of Elah, he set forth the following terms, essentially. Choose a man to fight me. If he wins, we will be your servants. If I win, we will be your servants. Now think about what that tells you about the worldview of the Philistine giant from Gath. In Goliath's mind, those who serve are the losers. But the only reason that David was able to defeat Goliath on that day is because David was a servant of the Lord. Now, for our families, true victory will only come if we're able to serve the Lord together. That is our goal. That's what we're going to be talking about today, serving God as a family. But this is sort of, my assignment is to kick this thing off and define service, get our minds thinking that direction. Uh, not going to try to dive too deeply into other people's material, but what we are going to do is we're going to set this up and then we're going to be very practical and talk about some things we can do to serve together as a family. That's what we're seeking to accomplish this morning. First of all, what does service mean? Now, the most common usage for service in the Bible, if you're just going to do a study is actually those that were serving in the tabernacle. You think about them out there in the wilderness, and then later in the temple, the service that was offered in the tabernacle. Now let me ask you, if that's where we're finding service most often in our Bibles, as a word, what is the connection between the sons of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi, and Christians serving God today? What's the connection there? Say it again. We're, we're all priests. In what sense are we priests? 
What are the priests doing? They're serving. They have, they have someone that they're directing their work to and on behalf of their fellow countrymen, right? And we understand this principle from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, right? And so that priesthood idea being carried over types and shadows from the Old Testament over into the New Testament. We understand that as New Testament priests, we're connected to, in a sense, the service that was offered in the tabernacle. Now, if we are priests, we know that the priests of the Old Testament are offering the blood of bulls and goats, right? They're offering incense. They have their various duties surrounding the temple. What is it that I'm supposed to be offering? What is my offering? So, and that's exactly what the scripture teaches us when we look over in Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So the offering is not a, a, us as priests bringing some kind of animal, but the verse actually says that we're supposed to bring our own bodies. So does that mean that I need to find a pile of stone somewhere, get some wood, lay myself on it, hand Cody a match, and say, have at it? In what way, please no, Cody, in what way are we to be offering our bodies? Say it. Okay, we are living sacrifices. Very good. We're working. Our bodies are used in work for the Lord. Very good. What else? How are we using, how are we sacrificing our bodies? What does that mean? What all does that encompass? Okay, putting off the old, putting on the new. Very good. What else? Okay, we're servants in that sense that we're, we're the, uh, the treasure hidden in earthen vessels, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, carrying the gospel. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit, we're bearing fruit. Yes, sir? Giving of our time. Exactly right. Yes, ma'am? Denial of self. Hey, do you notice we don't have a problem coming up with a bunch of things here? Because you know what this means, that we're offering our bodies as a sacrifice? All the above. I have to give my everything. That's why it's easy to come up with examples here, because this means I have to give my everything. That's the way in which I sacrifice my body to God. And here's an example of that. Just one example in Ephesians 6, verses 6 and 7. Paul here is talking about a slave-master relationship. And he says that essentially when you're giving your service to your earthly master, you're really serving the Lord. I mean, look at it. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. My sacrifice as a priest to God is my entire life. Here's one example of that. If I'm serving my fellow man, I'm not really serving my, man, my fellow man. I, I'm doing it as I serve God. It's all-encompassing. It's everything. And you think about a priest. If you think about you're, you're one of the sons of Aaron, you know, you're along that line of his descendants, and you're offering your sacrifices for your fellow man. What a great service. For the other tribes. What a great service for the people of Judah. What a great service for the people of Ephraim. So the priests are serving God. And they're serving their fellow man at the same time. 
giving their all to serve him. Now, if it's true that the individual Christian is God's New Testament priest, then doesn't it follow that the Christian family must be servants of God in the same way? And that the family is designed to give glory to God and must give their everything to him. Serving God as a family, first of all, requires humility. Serving God as a family requires humility. Do you remember in Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48, it says that uh, there was a dispute that arose among the disciples. Which one of us is greater? Which one's greater? And you look at that context in Luke 9, the inner circle, so to speak, had just been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And I wonder if the other nine are a little concerned that they weren't invited. Which of us is going to be the greatest? Jesus has an, uh, an object lesson for them. It says in verse 47, Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to him, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. So the little child is an example. Why is the child an example of what they needed at that point in time? Innocence, very good. We don't get mad, do we, when children say something that an adult might say? You know, Daddy, you don't sing very well. Well, you don't get mad at a little child who says that. When an adult comes up to you and say, you don't sing well. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> right? Why, why do we get mad at the adult and not the child? It's because of the innocence of a child, right? Why, why else is a child a good illustration for his apostles who are worrying about who's the greatest? Say again? They want to pl- children want to please. Yes, that's right. That's right. And are his disciples thinking about who they should be wanting to please? And they're thinking about pleasing themselves. And, and their pride has gotten in the way of that, of being pleasing to their God. Who, who among us is going to be the greatest? Now, let me ask you this question. This is important. What is the difference between being childlike and childish? The difference between being childlike and childish. Anybody want to take a crack at that? Explain that for me. Innocence, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 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 That, well, childlikeness is something that God's in favor of, is promoted. Uh, childishness, one example of this, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So for Jesus to tell his disciples that they need to be like children is not saying you need to be immature. He wants them to be mature, but he wants them to be humble. He wants them to be willing to please, willing to learn, not trying to serve themselves, but trying to serve others. Okay, oh, I went too far. Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, 33 and 34 is a key scripture here. You might want to write it down for our families. The curse of the Lord, Proverbs 3, 33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, 
but gives grace to the humble. A family starts when a man and woman commit to one another in marriage. I know that there are other kinds of family, and if you're a family of one, it's what I like to call it, you're, you're a single person, if you're a family of one, you're still a family, and this lesson still applies. You can still serve God. I'm glad we have lessons designed for that in the uh, program coming up later today. But I'm going to focus on the general idea of what we think of as a family today for my assignment. And when two people come together in marriage and commit to God, they've got to be humble enough to change, change for one another, adjust for one another, also humble enough to serve God together. They also need a good amount of conviction, though, don't they? There was one preacher who said when two people get married, it's like these uh, two rivers crashing together, merging together, and there's a little bit of uh, turmoil there at the first, but then they create one larger and bigger river. And there are voices on the outside, maybe from family, that tell them what they ought to be, but they've got to have enough conviction to say, no, you know, no matter what mom and dad have done, whether they've served the Lord or not, we're going to do our best to serve God. And if the ways that maybe our family has served, if you're blessed with Christian parents in the past, if we see some of those ways that could be better, well, we're going to try to improve and be better. And we're going to have to have conviction that we're going to do things our way as a new family. But you can go too far with that because you can get so about, well, this is our family way of doing things that you never get around to changing in light of God's word. So we want to avoid that problem. Becoming a parent, if nothing will humble you, if becoming a parent won't humble you, I don't think anything will, right? I mean, you think you have it all figured out until you have kids and you find out you don't. And then you tell mom and dad sorry. Every time I come to visit now, I'm telling mom and dad sorry for something that I realized that I must have been doing as a child. Becoming a parent should make you humble. But parents, new parents, parents of younger children, need to have the humility to look at older, successful Christian parents and mimic those choices, behaviors, practices that work. James 1, 17 through 19, I love this section. We think about verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But you look at that verse in the context, it's really in in the context with regards to God's word and listening to God's word and allowing it to change us because he says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. So I need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath with regards to God's word. That means that when God's word speaks about what our family should be, I have to be willing to listen. So what are some areas that people don't they don't listen to God's word about what a family should be. What are, what are some areas where they don't have the humility? Some people don't have the humility to change. What? Priorities. Priorities? Okay. We're going to talk about that. That's good. Okay. Wives submitting to and respecting their husbands. Yeah. What else? Making Christianity just a twice a week thing instead of an everyday thing. Yeah. You know, I, I thought of Jehoash, 2 Kings 12 and verse 2. Not his father, but a fatherly figure with Jehoiada the priest. It said, Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord, 
all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. We've got to be willing to listen to the instruction of the Lord. We can't read Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly and then make excuses to say, well, my child doesn't really respond well to discipline. Because when I do that, I'm putting myself in God's place. We can't look at God's design for the home with the husband being the head of the house, the spiritual leader, and say, well, for us, it actually works better for mom to be the spiritual leader, so we're going to go with that. God's ways are the best ways. God knows what our family should look like better than we do. We've got to have the humility to change in line with that. And by the way, with husbands, Ephesians 5.23, right? Husbands are the head of the wife and the head of the household, just like Christ is the head of the church. Now, remember that in that same context, submit yourselves one to another is right there. Yes, wives submit to your husbands, but husbands are the head of the wife. Do you realize that with that responsibility, with that authority, comes a burden? Because husbands, if there is something amiss in your home, and it continues to be amiss in your home, that's your fault. Because it's your job to fix it. You're the spiritual head of the home. You've got to be humble enough to have the conversations that need to be had. To put the work in. To, to admit fault when you have fault, but to also help those that are under your authority to be able to work on the issues that they have. We're not domineering tyrants. We're leaders. We've got to lead our families home to heaven. Any questions or comments about serving God with humility as a family and why humility is necessary in this process? Any thoughts you want to share? Let's go to the next one. Serving God as a family requires sacrifice. Here I think about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. That's where Paul uses three different metaphors to describe serving God. And when we think about those, a good soldier of Jesus Christ engaged in warfare, one who competes in athletics so that he may be crowned, and then the hardworking farmer who is first a partaker of his crop. We think about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. What do those three have in common? What do they have in common? Discipline. Hard work. Say it again. A goal. That's right. A goal. Something to, something to press towards, right? They are all sacrificial servants. And all of your answers center around that idea, don't they? They're all sacrificial servants. Why? Even in this country, and we do, and I think that we should, we thank our servicemen for their sacrifice, don't we? And then the athlete has to sacrifice to be good. He has to have the discipline to train, and he has to sacrifice a lot of time and sometimes a lot of money to be at the top of his game. And the farmer feeds not only himself, his family, but feeds the community with the hard work and sacrifice that he puts in. Sacrificial servants. Well, our families need to be sacrificial servants of our God. We're going to talk about sacrifice in a couple of different ways here. First of all, the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, verse number 15, Therefore let him continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of his lips, 
Families need to worship together, not just in the pew, but in the living room or the bedroom or wherever it is that you gather together to worship God as a family. We're going to talk about that a little bit. How can we have family devotionals, family Bible time? Now, what is the most often thing that gets in the way of family Bible time? Everyone kind of going their own way, schedules get busy, hey, we just don't have the time, right? And then it kind of, maybe, we, maybe we're really dedicated at first, and we have nightly or daily family Bible time, and then the calendar gets busy. Have you ever seen one of those calendars that's got the separate columns for each member of the family? There's the dad column and the mom column, and then one for each of the kids, and you can write in the individual activities there. You know, we had one of those when I was a kid, and the, there were some weeks, man, where every space had something in it. Now, I understand our busy schedules. Do you know that's not actually something that should keep us from having time worshiping God together as a family? It's, I've learned a few pro tips here. Now, a couple things. When you're talking about family Bible time, it doesn't necessarily have to be a long time. And you can start early. We started when Nora was either one or two years old. And, you know, when she was that little and it was getting close to bedtime, some nights she cried while mom and I tried to sing a song and say a prayer and put her to bed. And now she loves it. And now she sings along with us. Be adaptable to the situation. Know who your family is. And there are some nights, be adaptable night to night, because there are some nights where you just say, it's not, it's not working today. We're going to cut this short. We're going to go to bed. And that's okay. But what your children are going to remember is that my family worship God together every day. What I've learned to do is put, an, uh, put a, uh, a reminder, a, a notification in my phone to pop up. And the notification doesn't leave until I've gone in and marked it off in the to-do list, right? And that, it just pops up same time every day. It's amazing like that. You know, sometimes this preacher goes long, and uh, 7.30 on a Sunday night, we haven't had family Bible time yet. I say, well, you've worshiped God together on Sunday. I know, and that would be fine. That's enough. But we want to have family Bible time together every day. And so 7.30, hey, I might still be preaching if I went really long, but the notification is there. And we can do it in the car. I actually have a, a space on our drive home. When we cross the railroad tracks, that's my reminder on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Oh, yes, we need to have family Bible time. And we do it in the car. And if you're going to ball games or what have you, sing together in the car. Maybe you're separate. Maybe mom's taking one kid and dad's taking another. That's okay. Y'all do it separately. Communicate about it. Dads, be the leaders here. Make sure it's taking place. Just a little bit every day is going to make a huge difference. What do you do during Bible, uh, Bible family time? Uh, I think Joey's going to talk about later studying together, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But it's really important for kids to learn the songs that we're singing. You can ask them for what their favorite songs are. Mix up old and new songs. Read the Bible together. Once they learn how to read, get them to open their Bible together. And maybe they struggle a little bit at first, but let them read out of their own Bible. When they get older, they can give devotionals to the family and have good practice that way or practice song leading, practice leading prayers. They can use time to memorize scripture. Our elders have challenged us at Colleyville to memorize scripture as a congregation, young and old alike. We've got a big tree and we're putting up the leaves and everything. It's a, it's a big deal. It's going really well. 
my family's doing it together. So far, we're through four verses memorized. Okay? And uh, we're going slow, but we're learning them. And Bible, family Bible time, family devotional is a good time to do that. Bible question time. Ask your young kids, do you have a Bible question? You know, sometimes it'll be silly. But sometimes it's really meaningful. When my kids were a little bit younger, sometimes I would get questions like, Dad, why is the road? Why is the road? Good question. I'll get back to you. <laughs> but sometimes they're really meaningful. Why did God make man? You hear that come out of four-year-old's mouth. Any questions, comments about this? That's worshiping together. We want to be sure and do that. But we also want to sacrifice in another way. We want to be givers. Givers of our time, givers of our money. You think about a new family, a young married couple. Sometimes young marrieds make a lot because you're in that dual income, no kids sweet spot. Sometimes young marrieds don't make very much at all because they're just getting started. But it doesn't matter whether you're making a lot or a little. There needs to be a family plan for what we're going to do with our money, how we're going to handle our finances. Start those good habits early. And then as you get children, teach your children in word and example that a faithful Christian does three things with his money. He spends it, he gives, and he saves. And get your kids to do those three things with their money. If young people have money to spend on shoes or on video games, they have money to put into the collection plate when it comes around on Sunday, don't they? Let's teach them those lessons and help them build wise habits early. Another way to sacrifice with our time and our activity. Faithful Christian families will sacrifice any and every activity that gets in the way of serving God faithfully. We are not raising musicians. We are not raising actors. We are not raising athletes or scholars. We're raising Christians. And if they happen to be Christian athletes or Christian scholars, great. But we're going to be Christians. And the other things that need to fall by the wayside, if they get in the way, a family is going to sacrifice those if they want to serve the Lord together. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. We can stop there, and I put this here to remind us that we're not just talking about young families. We're talking about older families here, too. And older families are going to be willing to sacrifice any activity that gets in the way, and they're going to serve to the end until they've received that crown of life. Fathers, you might have to sacrifice a little peace and tranquility in your house at times. Do you, do you think of that as a sacrifice? Disturbing the peace when it needs to be disturbed in your home, fathers. Because sometimes you have to say, you're not going to wear that. You're not going to go there. You're not going to date him. You're not going to play that right now. You're not going to that college. Fathers have to be willing to stand up, to be men. Looking forward to that lesson. I've never understood why some Christian parents who do not agree with the sinful decisions of their teenage or early 20s kids continue to fund those decisions. 
questions, comments? Sacrificing together as a family. Any thoughts that you want to share? Finally, serving God as a family requires work. Hard work. A 12-year-old Jesus in Luke 2, 49 said, Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And if the 12-year-old can serve, if the adult can serve, if the aged can serve, if the little can serve, families can serve God together. But we're going to be held accountable for our work. That's what the parable of the talents teaches us, right? We're responsible. For some families, different stages of life, for some families, it is hard work just to get up and get dressed on a Sunday to go to worship. For some families, maybe later in life, that's hard. For other families, it's not necessarily hard, but it's inconvenient. Have you ever tried to put dress clothes on a running three-year-old? Just hold the shirt out and let them, yeah. Not convenient. I didn't need that. Not convenient. Not necessarily hard. For some families, it's easy. You know, kids have left home maybe. Mom and dad are now empty nesters. Or you've got older kids, easy to get, get up and get going. What's the point? We don't need to compare ourselves with other families. Other families are in different situations than we're in. Than we're in. Young marrieds are serving God by striving to become the husband and wife that God wants them to be. But don't limit your service, young marrieds. Spend your time together. Grow close together. Serve God in your marriage. But then go together and serve others. And serve God outside of the four walls of your home. Hopefully you were already serving God when you were single. Now that you're married, look for ways to serve together. Which members of your congregation could use a visit? Is there something that you could lift the burden off of elders or deacons? Take something off their plate to make it a little bit easier on them. When you think about congregational works, there are things for everybody in the family to do to serve the Lord. And I challenge you, your congregation's works, where you serve and worship, are not the people that you send checks to on a regular basis to do mission work. Those are not your works. Those are their works, and you're happy to help support them. We do that at Colleyville. We're happy to send money to help support other good works, to help good brethren do great things for the Lord. But those are not your congregation's works. What are your congregation's works? What are the things that you're doing? Where, where are your areas of service where you're making a difference in your community? And sometimes the regularly scheduled things, we forget that they are works. Like fellowship meals. You have a first Sunday lunch or something like that? That's a work. Do you know that's a work? We just, I mean, we make food, we show up, we eat, we talk, we have fun, right? There might be a person at your fellowship meals that hasn't had anybody to talk to all week. That's a work. 
So here's my suggestion for families <laughs> serving God together. My suggestion is at fellowship meals, don't sit together. Split up. Go this way and that way. Not saying it's wrong. We also do this when we go out to eat. You get a group from church to go out to eat at a restaurant together. Maybe you got three, four families there. We get our families sitting kind of together. And then <laughs> we don't really talk to one another. We talk to our own families who we see all the time. Split up. Look at it as a work. What about lectureships, gospel meetings, ladies' days? Hey, there's plenty of hosting to do. Plenty of cleaning. Preparing for the week's activities. I know a lot of that's been going on around here lately. And I also know that some of your little ones have been involved in getting things ready. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> that great lesson that you're teaching early on. Is there babysitting at these events? There is here. Older kids, be the kind of kid that the adult feels comfortable trusting to be a babysitter. Parents, teach your kids to be responsible. Ladies' classes, depending on when and where, maybe dad needs to help watch the kids so mom can go teach or attend. Visitation, oh, you take your little ones visiting, and they are going to light up the lives of those that need a little encouragement. Door knocking? Oh, you know what's not easy? Dragging the double stroller that weighs a million pounds, I'm not exaggerating, out of the back of the car to take the kids door knocking. And then only knocking nine houses because somebody had a meltdown and then giving up and going home. But you know what? I tend to think that the nine houses with children is more impactful than the 30 houses me and Summer would have done on our own. Certainly better for my kids. That's an important thing to remember, mom and dad. You're not only serving God, you're not only serving others, you're serving your kids by being the best mom and dad, Christian mom and dad for them. You know all the events going on, camp, vacation, Bible school, Bible classes, leading in worship, preparing for worship, special classes, congregational devos, find ways to serve together. Look for those opportunities. Too often, the sheep look at their elders as a glass that says, break in case of emergency. Have the elders into your home. Let your shepherds spend time with some of their smaller sheep and with you. Put the kids to bed and then have a conversation with your elders asking, are there areas we can serve better? And get to know them. Where can we be growing and serving? And get their insights. Fathers, lead your family in obedience to those that rule over you. In my house, we obey our elders. Period. As long as what they've given us is according to the pattern. We don't talk bad about our elders in my house. Even if we disagree with the decisions they're making. And I'm not just saying that because I have two of them here. <laughs> Parents with small children. Not only is your family serving God together, but you're teaching your children what service to God is. See, you're the only family they have. And when they're little growing up, your family is the idea that they have. Every family's like this, right? 
What this means is you have to be talking to them all the time about what we're doing and why we're doing it. We host a sweetheart banquet. Our children serve. And uh, there's a little girl in our congregation. I have her permission to tell this story. She also happens to be my six-year-old daughter, and she did not want to go. I'm just not interested, she said. Sometimes the six-year-olds sound like 16-year-olds, you know. I'm just not interested. And then, before we left to go, she said, Daddy, I was complaining about going to the sweetheart banquet. I'm sorry. And that'll melt your heart. And then she went and she had a good time. But you know what my children realized as they were serving? You know, you ask them afterwards, did you enjoy serving? I said, yeah, but we didn't really get to play and do what we wanted to do. Uh huh. <laughs> yes. We're learning what service is. Important lesson. Part of the hard work is to have to always be talking with them. And sometimes those conversations can be frustrating. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 teaches us this principle, right? Talking about it all the time. They need to know that this isn't just what we do as a family. This is how we're serving God. Finally, as we think about serving God as a family, let me ask this question. What does a winning family look like? One that's serving God faithfully, right? What is the most important day in the family? Is it a wedding day? Is it a graduation? The arrival of the first child, maybe. The day mom and dad become empty nesters. The day the first grandchild arrives. No. The most important day for the family is that the, the day that the family enters into that eternal rest together. Hand in hand. No, we're not guaranteed that. Because we can't guarantee other people's decisions. And that might not be your situation, but let me tell you, it's guaranteed not to happen if you don't serve God as a family now. I hope that this lesson encourages you to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Ross, for that uh, good lesson. Great start to the day. We're going to um, we're going to change things up just a little bit. So, a couple of things. Again, uh, grab a workbook if you haven't already. You can also grab uh, one of these cards. Has the schedule on the back. The workbooks have the schedule on the back as well. So we're going to have a break for about 15 minutes, and then for the next couple of hours at 10 o'clock, our next session, we're going to be split, and all of our ladies will be here in the annex. Uh, Sister Evelyn Bonner will be speaking about the, a very needed subject, I think, teaching girls to be ladies, and then Carl McCann will be speaking to our men in the auditorium, and his lesson is teaching boys to be men. So at 10 o'clock, we'll be split, ladies here in the annex, men in the auditorium, and then at 11 o'clock, in order to uh, free this room so that we can change it over for lunch, we will all be together in the auditorium for uh, Brother Wayne Jones uh, speaking about the unconventional family. So again, next hour, 10 o'clock, ladies in the annex, men in the auditorium, 11 o'clock, 
everyone together in the auditorium. We're also going to have child care available now from 10 to noon for the next couple of hours.